Hello, my fellow SHC alumni. Welcome to the podcast all about you, where we get to reflect on the days at high school to the people you are today. Our podcast, Dear Me From The Past, reunites old friends and classmates from the cherished or cringe days in the valley. I'm your host, Sandra Hanlon. Oh my God. So 22 years. I can't even remember the last time I saw you, but I have these. I have these snippets of you, of these funny moments. I can only remember from high school you laughing and you telling funny jokes. And that's what I think I said in the meeting. I can remember, um, you know, just really good memories of you being really funny and, and you saying the right thing at the right time. And and I don't know, I kind of look back at high school and I can't remember the way I felt and I don't know what that experience was, but it's kind of, I'm, I'm glad we get to have a you know, conversation today about what those experiences were like and then talk with lots of other people in, in the next couple of years to see what their experience is like because I wonder how people look back at that. Yeah, it's such a weird thing, right? Like even though it was so long ago and so much time has passed, they're such formative years. Like I still think about stuff that – and also I swear like a trooper, so I hope this is not going to be like an Oh, we're going to get along well then. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Like, I I can remember shit that happened and I just, first of all, I cringe. But at the same time, I'm like, God, it was so rough. Like, you've got so many things going on. Yeah, yeah. And so many, like, trials and tribulations and all that stuff. But in the big scheme of things, it means nothing. But it's still so kind of, like, meaningful I know this doesn't really make any sense, but for such a short period of your life, which it's like five years through college at the most, it is such a big part of your life, but also small in terms of time. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll definitely go back to that because it's really important to kind of unpack that. But it's always about how those years at high school actually kind of shaped the way, you you know, who you became in the future and what kind of people you surrounded yourself with. Because I think that actually makes a difference. And um, I was having a conversation with Maria the other day because I, I messaged her about something and then I ended up going, hey, do you, like, can I call you? Like, can we just talk over the phone? And this is 20 years later, Maria, yeah. Maria Dunn. And I was asking questions about you and I was like, um, and then we just went down this rabbit hole and I was like, you know what, we're going to have to stop. This is going to have to just continue in a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, I need to record this good material here. Yeah, and I do have conversations with my friends and when we're out to dinner and I was just thinking, shit, we should have recorded this conversation because I really want to come back to it later on or something like that. So I did hear, I think it's really good for us to kind of go, okay, what is life like for you? So you have how many children? Just one. One, your daughter, right? Yeah, yeah, that I um, was pregnant with her when I was in seventh form. Wow. So you had yeah. you're a teen mother as well. Yeah. And I <laughs> I remember thinking cuz cuz you got pregnant at quite early on too, didn't you? Yeah, fifth form. Yeah, so I remember thinking and don't get mad, but I remember thinking, god, how can you be that stupid? And then like when I saw not just you, when I saw other teen mums and stuff like that, I was like, oh, you so silly I can't believe that and yeah. then it happened to me and I was like touche motherfucker like that just burned <laughs> me hard <laughs> and you know I I kind of I had daughter my daughter in 19 as well so my son 16 my daughter 19 and I kind of remember those years at high school and I remember good things and bad things I kind of mm. 
remember shutting down with from the wider people, wider group of people, and just having really close friends look after me, I think, and kind of shield me from whatever negativity and things were being said around me. Because so I think um, Wendy and Anna, Anna Wan or Wendy Collier, mm. were fantastic. Like they were kind of um, my rocks during that time and they did shield me from everything. And they were there yeah. the day my son was born. They were in the hospital room. And I think, wow. yeah, they was, I was in so much pain and I felt really embarrassed to have experienced this pain in front of them. I said to my mother, I can't do this in front of people, clear this room. So they cleared the room. He was out the 30 minutes later and then they were back with, you know, McDonald's and chocolates and because <laughs> um, it was really hard. I mean, I had a baby that was supposed to be adopted. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you decided not to. No, we were served with papers two days after he was born. He wasn't allowed to leave the country. So that's how oh. I ended up having a child at sixth form because um, mm. Damien's family wouldn't let him leave the country. My auntie and uncle lived in Australia, so they were there to pick up their baby and take their baby to back to Alice Springs. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, he couldn't leave the country. So I'm kind of wow. like really, really thankful <laughs> for that horrible, horrible time in my life. I think it's really important. But what was your experience have, having a child at seventh form? So what when were you, when did you find out you were pregnant and – um, yeah, so I think I think I got I can't like my memory is so vague about this time, and I really um, so in seventh form I turned eighteen in June, and then I think I got pregnant in about August. I do remember going to the I was devastated because I just turned eighteen and the liquor la- liquor age had just changed. <laughs> And I was like, <laughs> so pumped to get hammered before the seventh mm-hmm. form walk. And obviously I couldn't. So Hilarious. I was sober. I remember being like internally quite angry about that. When it's that's so such a stupid thing to be angry about. <laughs> um, but I also, so when I got pregnant, um, there wasn't, I think being raised Catholic has some implications to your decision making. Absolutely, yeah. Because I found out quite early. I think I was only about eight weeks pregnant, so it would have been quite easy for me to terminate. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to my mum, and she said, "No, you know." She said, "Ultimately, it's your decision, but mm-hmm. I don't, you know, it's not something I would feel good about." And I said, "No, I don't either." I you know, this is my my mistake. This mm-hmm. is my my thing that I need to go through. So I thought a lot about it and I decided to keep her. And then we went down the the adoption route and my aunt, two sets of my aunties and uncles wanted to to keep her. And um her father Nick didn't want that to happen, but it wasn't really I didn't really take his feelings into consideration yeah. because yeah. um I was eighteen, I didn't want to raise a kid. And, but then I just, I couldn't do it. And funnily enough, one of my aunt and uncle, Maggie and Kev, they were going to, they were one of the people who put their hands up to take her because they couldn't have children themselves. Mm-hmm. And after I said no, they said, we'll try IVF one, one last time. They would personally. And um, they got pregnant with twins. So oh, Bree's okay. got some cousins that are only about six months younger than her because they finally got pregnant with with twins, which was um, awesome for them. It was 
people said to me, oh, it must have been so hard to be a teenage mum. It actually wasn't because of like the support system that I had around me. Like I had my parents, I had Nick's parents, I had my grandparents, I had aunts and uncles and and so many people who would be there to take care of them. What was hardest was like I've always looked quite young Mm -hmm. and I'm really short. And so people just assumed for a long time that I'm still a child. And so walking around, like, I hated, you know, you go to antenatal classes. I'm the youngest person by, like, 10, uh-huh. 15, 20 years. Yep. You go to, like, the hospital and the nurses were horrible to you. Like, well, here's another one, wasting her life. <laughs> Probably going to be a benefit, you know. And you just thought, I just thought, fuck you all. Like, yeah, yeah. No, that drives you a bit. Define me. It was more other people's reactions to me having a child that was the worst part of it. Like people actually, when I was pregnant, I was in the warehouse in Taupo and these two women, white women, came up to me and said, oh, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be this, that you should be that. You're joking. My mum was like one aisle over and I've never seen that woman run as fast as I've seen her because she could hear them. Yeah. And she came over and she was like, who the heck do you think you are? Blah, 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 blah. And yeah, oh, they, that's people, amazing. Yeah, people openly said shit to me, to my face. And I was like, God, anyone would have thought I was a murderer or something, yeah, you know, yeah. like l- let out or I don't Butchered know. your so, childhood. Um, yeah. That's funny. I, I never had that experience. And I do wonder, when I look back and reflect on that, I wonder if it was just expected. You know, like it was just, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was probably just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, regardless of whether, you know, I had a long term boyfriend who I was with for three or four years at that time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the only person I had been with in my entire life, I still had that label of, you know, she's pretty loose. It's expected. Of, yeah. Um, brown girl. Yeah. Must be a hoe. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's like the same as Nick and I, like, We'd been together two or three years before I got pregnant. And, but no one knows that. No one Mm. asks you questions. No one, they just think it's their right to give you their opinion. Um, So that was fine. And then I spent a year, well, nine months at home with Brie. And then I went to uni. Yeah. So I had Brie in March in Mm. 2001. And so I took the rest of that year off and stayed at home with her, um, still living with my mum and my brother at that stage. And then, yeah, I went to uni. Um, I mucked around for probably probably between one and three years. So I went to uni for a year. Then I got accepted into um, Otago Medical School, but it's in Wellington. There's a Wellington-based one. And I did. I trained to be a radiation therapist, so treating cancer patients. It was super rewarding, but they were 12, 15-hour days. And so at some point after two, at nearly three years, I failed one exam because of just absolute exhaustion, being a solo mum, trying to do it all. I was and also doing shifts at the hospital as well as studying. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know, 22. I was like this. I'm not cut out for this. And that's massive and, at that. Yeah. And being a parent as well. So at least you attempted it. So how did the rest of that go in terms of? So 
it was it was such a hard pill to swallow. Like I was devastated that I failed that exam. I'd never failed anything in my entire life. Like I was always such a good student and then I just crashed and burned. And so I made the decision to leave the course and start back at uni and I went on a completely different tangent. I cross-credited as many um, things as I could and I went and got a law and marketing degree. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, yeah. just a law and marketing degree. Was it easier? Was, I yeah, actually want to know that. Was it, was it easier than yeah, the route you it was, Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was much easier. Um, so I went and did did that and that it only took me I think I pumped it out like I went to summer school I did everything I worked part-time during it so I started um, merchandising which is like filling shelves in supermarkets I worked for a company called SCA hygiene which does like toilet paper and tampons and stuff like that and I used to do that in the mornings so mum would drop Brie off at daycare I'd go first 6 a.m outfill all the shelves then drive into uni because mm-hmm. I really didn't want to and everyone's got their own sets of rules and it doesn't mean that you're better or worse depending on how you go about it yeah but I wanted work experience as well as um a university degree and I didn't want to be completely reliant on the government to support me so mm-hmm. I worked and then that work led me into every single other job I've ever had because I worked at that company and then they said can you come and be a DC buyer for us and I said yep sure and so I did that part-time and then they said hey you're just about finished your degree and I said yeah I'm gonna go be a lawyer Um, I just (laughs) need to sit my my professionals and then I'm gonna get an internship and they said well what if instead of doing that we um gave you 50k a year and a company car and you came and started as an account manager and I was like okay well I'll do that then (laughs) and then so mum had a flipping panic attack which was understandable because I was going to go do commercial law but in reality I knew that it was going to bore me to death like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. labor law and you know oh you're in it the beautiful boring. you're in the beautiful buildings and the cities but you never get to see anything outside the the windows right like you nah, it'd it, just be like yeah and i didn't want to do family law or criminal law or anything so i did like business law like commercial mm-hmm. labor law all of those sorts of things and then i just went from one job to the next in grocery so i went from SCA hygiene to nestle um and then I went from Nestle, I went and I was a, a general manager for a little skincare company for um, about a year. And now I work at Foodstuffs. So now I do um, commercial negotiations for them. So my hip surgery, I've had this problem since I was born. So it's hip dysplasia. Heaps of kids were born with it in the 80s and they didn't really test for it that well. Wow. So there's a lot of people who are getting to like 40, 45, 50 now who are like got these hip problems and need hip replacements much earlier mm-hmm. so um when I joined foodstuffs I got health insurance paid for with no pre-existing conditions so I was like well that's helpful and I <laughs> rung and said I'm gonna need a hip replacement in the next couple of years it's basically whenever I want it mm. and they said okay cool 
um, yeah, we pay for it. So a $30,000 surgery I got for free in a private hospital at a time of my choosing. Yeah, that's So I'm fantastic. extremely fortunate. Um, it just, yeah, right job, right place, right yeah. time. And not um, even an age thing, really. You can't even, it's not an age thing. It's a nah, it's just girl one was of born those. like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I would have had to wait through the public system or pay 30 grand myself. Mm-hmm. if I hadn't got this job. So it's, yeah, it's awesome. Fantastic. So it sounds so that's like. that's pretty much my life up yeah. to here. Well, it does sound like that, you know, your mum picked up quite a bit of the parental load during those, you know, initial years. Mm. What was the dynamic? Like if you reflect now, kind of being in the same age your mother would have been when, when was it Brianna was born. Yeah. What was her life like back then? Like how did she kind of navigate those, um, you know, negative narratives about being a grandmother at a certain age. And I actually look forward to those years, by the way. Like I try and my daughter's 21 and my son's 24 and I push them to go, you know, you know, I'd love to blah, blah, blah. And they're looking at me like, it's not happening. Like it's just not happening. Um, Because I think I'd be a a better grandmother than I was a mother. (laughs) Oh, same, 100%. Um, My mom, I don't know. It's hard. I don't know what she thought. Like I didn't, I've never really asked her. Yeah. And it just kind of was like, I think maybe because she probably felt like she had a hand in making the decision of what happened to Brianna in the womb at that time that she mm. was kind of felt like it is, she knew I couldn't do it on my own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she would, would pick that up. So. Um, and she has yeah, your, you guess, and your brother, doesn't she? You and your brother? Yeah. 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 And he's like five years younger than me. So he was only 13 when Brie was born. So yeah. she was basically just raised by everyone in the family. You know, yeah. there was, mm-hmm. she was just like an, like, it's kind of like we'd got a cat and everyone just looked <laughs> after it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's the same. It was the same. You know, my mother got the son that she never had. Because she had yeah. three girls. And even today, my daughter and my mother have this really strained relationship because they're very similar. But mm. there'll be times where she'll come and complain about how, you know, my mother went and hugged my son first, you know, walked straight past my daughter and hugged my son and and feeds him first and, you know, treats him like he's like the golden child. And I was like, well, you have to kind of understand, darling, that, you know, he's the son that she never had. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he he did get a lot. He was everybody's baby. He was everybody's yeah. baby. He ended up, and I was quite well, very fortunate because I got to do a lot and have a lot of freedom. You know, Damien and I mm, had a lot of freedom same. during those years. Um, yeah. So I don't feel like we missed out anything. Do you feel like you missed out anything or do you feel like your mum missed nah. out on anything by having to be that support for you? Shit, no. She gained a she gained a little friend all the mm. time. Like Bree would follow her around. She would be out there gardening with her or painting the house or you know, she was like, that was her l- little buddy, I guess. And, you know, mum, I would always put Brie to bed. You know, like, I'm not talking every night, but if I wanted to go out with friends on a Friday or Saturday night, like, mum wasn't really, like, out there partying or anything herself. Mm-hmm. She was at home watching Coronation Street or Country Calendar or whatever <laughs> fucking old people do. Um, and she wasn't old, was she? How old was your mum when you were? Ah, so was she born? was 20. She would have been 47 when she mm-hmm. she had me at 27. So 45-ish. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so then on every, that cusp. 
on the cusp of yeah. like yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah like the cusp that I'm on where now if I drink I get a two to three day hangover hangover so, <laughs> yeah, it's not a it's not something you do regularly no um but yeah she she was quite happy um her and um Kay who's her partner they loved it they took her you know, they did all those things like took her to stag lands and stuff like that. And mm. my mum's a lot more of a patient person than me. So like she'll sit there and watch free glue fucking macaroni on shit and, you know, help her <laughs> teach you to hammer a nail. And I was like, oh, if it takes no. 10 minutes, we're in. If it takes longer than yeah. 10 minutes, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. If it's a mess, like, yeah, no, I'm not. It's not my thing. So, yeah, she, she, they did. Everyone picked up a lot more. I think I was probably 25% of the time a parent in those really early yeah. years. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. So it's it's definitely it's definitely interesting. The relationship's a bit different now. They don't they're not as close as they used to be. Some water's gone under the bridge and some some things happened and yeah, like my mum can be extremely supportive in situations, but then in others, that's this is a totally different podcast, by the way. Is that a generational um, thing, do you think? Because we've got what your daughters what Gen Z and they just have yeah. they're a product of the environment they grew up in. And you've got that kind of other dynamic of a early or mid X and their personalities, a bit similar to my daughter and my mother, I guess. They just clash in terms of what their world looks like and what the world should be, right? Yeah, it's, it's, I think what it is, is that older generation feel like they can give their opinion on stuff as a right Mm. Mm -hmm. instead of, whereas Brian is more like, well, I didn't ask you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't ask for your feedback. And she's like, well, you know, I'm older and wiser. And Brie's like, are you though? (laughs) We have. We, yeah, I kind of, it's an interesting space to be in. My daughter lives on her own with a boyfriend and my son also flats not far from here, but they have these boundaries. Like they, sh- they put these boundaries up and you have to respect them, right? You've got to kind of go, yeah. okay, well, I can't talk about work or education with my daughter because those are the things I pushed her entire life. And now she says, yeah. that is a conversation we're not having anymore. And with mm. my son, when it comes to money, he's like, that's a conversation we're not having anymore. So now yeah. those, which I think are really good, it's good to have those parameters so that your relationship is a quality adult relationship and not yeah, one that not you tension. control. Yeah. yeah. And you're not always trying to push your narrative on them. And I think that's probably like the way that I parented Brie is so different to the way that I was parented. Yeah. So... And there were things that I really didn't want to do that my mum did that I was super conscious of. But what I realised is that my mum probably parented a million times better than her mother and you just try and make improvements with every every new generation that's born. You're just trying to... Um, Diminish the trauma, I think, mm-hmm. is really what it is. Like, 
I know my mum was forced to do things as even as an adult by her parents as an expectation as the oldest child and things like that. Like, mm. hey, we want to go overseas, so you need to quit your job and come home and look after your sisters for the next three months while we're over in Europe because you're the oldest and that's what's expected. Yeah. It was never about what my mum wanted. It was more about, hey, we're your parents. You do what we say. I don't care if you're 12, 25 or 55 we're your parents whereas my mum never made me do anything like that except for like babysit my brother every now and then and she let me be a teenager even when I'd brought a child into the world and she looked after that child even though it wasn't her own yeah and so she made a conscious decision not to be that controlling over me like her parents were over her Mm. now she fucked me up in other ways which I've now tried to not pass on to my child yeah Mm -hmm. or or parent in that same way so and like I sit here like I'm a fucking expert but the reality was I was also 18 and I had no idea what the fuck I was doing so I've Mm -hmm. definitely done shit to breathe it she's gonna try (laughs) and hopefully not do to her (laughs) own children yeah um but it's just the way that it was I think I've, I've, I've had the same experience. I think with my mother, um, everything had to be a certain way. And I do wonder, like, did she feel like she had to help me to look after this child because it was her failure? Like, is that how she sees it? Because as a 16-year-old, you know, because she had done more. And I look mm. back at it and I think I was quite protected. And I had a great life as a teenager. Like, there's nothing I missed out on. I got, you know, I think I, I call it the solo mother syndrome. Right, because mm-hmm. I got anything I wanted until she met her husband when I was eighteen, and then that that you know, those floodgates shut <laughs> pretty strong. <laughs> um, which is probably what needed to happen. It wasn't until I met my husband at twenty two that I'd realized how dependent on my mother I actually was, and ridiculous yeah. things like I would, she'd buy me cars. I'd have car, like a car would break, she'd buy another one, and that's the kind of parenting she did. But she also used to do things to me and my sister. Like if we, I lived in Tauranga, she was in Wellington, my sister was in England. My sister only ever had to pay a one-way flight back to New Zealand because my mum would pay for the return. <laughs> <laughs> she would always make sure we would get back to where we lived. So we kind of clicked onto that really early on. And she did things like move into a two-bedroom apartment in the city because none of us mm. could have moved home. And when my step, like my step family, there's four of them and three of us. So we yeah. all know that there's we're all getting nothing. <laughs> like, so nah. we had to we had to grow up and and that you know that support that I got from my mother was like it was a control. I found it was controlling. Like she would control what happened with the kids because she paid what happened with the kids. So yeah, and that's and that's the kind of attachment. And I realized okay, if I have to, we have to release these release these kind of that grip that she has on me by stop going to her, and start yeah. adulting you know, in the early yeah. 20s, it was time to grow up. And I think my daughter coming along made that happen because mm. that's where she was mine. You know, no one else was going to parent my daughter. She was absolutely 100% mine and, and you know, everything you wanted to do when you were 16, 17, 18, um, I got to do when I was 19. So, you know, yeah. I, I can't blame anyone else if she <laughs> if, if she is absolutely messed if up. If she's messed up, me. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, we're definitely going to. Like Bree's been through, she's struggled with some mental health. So she's diagnosed with borderline personality disorder two years ago. 
Wow. Um, which means that she cannot regulate her emotions like a normal person. So mm. it means and when it so she's would have had it since she was a teenager. It tends to come out in in thirteen, fourteen year olds. And I just thought she was dramatic. A teenager, a dramatic teenager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The crying and the drama. I was just like would you just shut up, like, just stop it. But even now looking back at her as a child, knowing what I know now, that's the key thing is that you can't have regrets about stuff you didn't know about because you Mm -hmm. only knew what you knew and you can't get upset about, oh, God, if I'd known about that, maybe she wouldn't be so fucked up now. But And she's not. She's fine. But um, the... The stuff that she did as a kid, like, if I told her off, I would get these novel bloody sorry letters that was like, sorry for everything she's ever done. I'm sorry about the time I broke the plate. And then, you know, it's like she was constantly punishing herself for anything. That was her outlet. Yeah. And I would get, and I, one day I said to her, I told her off for something minor. I don't know what she'd done. And I was like, and if you write me a sorry letter, don't. Just don't write it. I'm not interested in reading your novel sorry letters. Just be sorry and then just don't do it again. And she's yeah. like, okay. And then I go into my bedroom. She would have been about seven or eight. And she had written in Lego on Lego boards, I'm sorry, and put it on my bed. And I was just like, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> do you think she – Yeah. Do you think it's yeah. kind of like, I don't know if it's a generational thing, but it's kind of like, deal with it, move on. Like yeah. those letters are being dragged into something that happened in the past, which is not progressive, yeah. right? So yeah. we're kind of like, we the, the line in the sand is here. Let's just keep yeah. moving forward. Like if we get yeah. held back from things that happened in the past, we're never going to move forward. Um, no, but that's the thing. She, she couldn't because of, her personality disorder she couldn't let stuff go so it was like every time something new happened they all came back up so she couldn't regulate her emotions around that and let stuff go and move on Mm -hmm. so yeah it's definitely interesting and I just think I could have been kinder but I just you know when you're a parent and you're just like they do something how do you understand that how like how can you comprehend that that's the way she wanted to to you know express how she was feeling it's a it's a it's a it's a hard one it's not something we were probably raised to do was share our emotions in a really you know visual way we were kind of like you know have a fight have an argument scream and yell and move on (laughs) let it go yeah 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 I mean the only things that we really knew that had anything to do with mental illness was probably eating disorders that's the most I knew Join us next week for Caroline's Part 2.